Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When shorts were short only concerns itself with what was actually a very narrow window in football history when teams wore, well, short shorts. The podcast will only cover football from 1954, when Umbro made their first England kit with shorter shorts, a design that was widespread within English football by the mid-50s, to 1992, when short shorts were all but finished as Umbro's baggy shorts for Tottenham's new kit, ahead of the 91 FA Cup final, quickly caught on. I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson. This is when shorts were short. If the shorts weren't short, we don't talk about it. My guest this week is artist and landscape painter Lindsay Jelly, who in another life was a designer and not just a designer, but the designer who through her work with Admiral from the mid 70s to early 80s, whom she joined as a 19 year old just out of art college, transformed the football replica kits market. Her designs, partly through their inventiveness, their freshness compared to the strips clubs had worn really until the mid-70s, and partly through their longevity too, often worn for four or five seasons, attained classic status. Even the one mocked at the time, the chocolate brown Coventry Awake It, these days sells online for big money. We talked about Lindsay's designs, what limitations might have been imposed on her by the clubs, her use of colours, how the advent of colour TV played its part in the rise of replica kits. And it becomes clear in the interview that partly because of her youth at the time and also because she had no real interest in football at that stage of her life, but also simply because Lindsay and Admiral were doing something no one had done before, that Lindsay didn't grasp the impact her work was having on football both then and forever which I think is brilliant, and we do briefly discuss how things might have been had Lindsay understood at the time just how seismic the impact her designs would be for football. One thing to note, the interview was recorded in the spring of 2021, some months after the passing of Admiral's great visionary, the entrepreneur Bert Patrick. Here's the godmother of football replica kits, Lindsay Jelly. When and how did you come to be involved at Admiral? Literally an advert in Leicester Mercury offering the position of head designer. It was, I was at, no, actually I'd just finished art college at Loughborough doing fashion design and I'd actually cleared off to Italy to be a bridesmaid for my friend in Italy and my parents there were no mobile phones or anything then. They were absolutely trying to get hold of me, desperate because I'd replied to this thing and I'd got an interview, blah, blah, which was quite a big thing, really. And uh, so, yeah, as soon as I got back, I was straight off to Admiral for the interview and and got the job. I'm still amazed by that. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you know about what they were doing at the time? Very little. <laughs> because. Really, when you've come out of art school, all you want's a job. So you're not, you know, it, it was it was local enough for me to get there. So it was about 40 minutes drive from where I lived. And it was sportswear. So and and that was my area. I, I did tailoring, menswear, leisure wear, and sportswear were sort of my fields of interest. So really anything that fell in that group I have a go for and the the hosiery industry in Leicester at that time was huge so it was like a real hub it's not so much so now a little bit but at that point it was like every mill and every huge factory in Leicester was doing hosiery knitwear you know leisure wear that sort of thing so it wasn't ultra difficult to get a job but it still was difficult when you were just leaving art college 
So on arriving at Admiral, did you jump straight into being a designer? Did you have to work your way up? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. They actually had not had a designer as such before. So it was at the point where the kit, I mean, they started out just doing replica for children. Um, and, and And the football teams were not really pushing the boat out design wise anyway. So it wasn't, if you, (laughs) I'm afraid to say it wasn't that difficult of an area to sort of be launched into. Literally, if you could cut out a shirt with a V-neck, you were were good to go. And I think that's why they really wanted to employ somebody like me at the time, because they wanted to change things a bit. And, you know, somebody like me fresh out the box was, in hindsight, what what they wanted, really. So, but you know, as a, I was only nineteen, so it was a bit. And I think my naivety was a good thing, because if I'd really been one a big football fan, two knew what they were doing a bit more, I might have been a bit overwhelmed with it all. But as I was, it didn't didn't bother me at all. But yeah, I was launched straight in. Just uh, some background for listeners: it was the mid seventies. Leeds and England kits that saw Admiral secure its place as the kit pioneer of that era. Famously, Bert Patrick and a, a colleague are coming out of the premises of some mail order company and happen upon Leeds training and they cut a deal with Don Revy, possibly there and then. I think at the time, only the away kit is up for grabs. They've got a deal for the home kit at yeah. that particular time. So Creating an away kit for Leeds sets the wheels in motion. The Leeds home kit switches to Admiral not long after. By Admiral standards, that first Leeds kit is a block white uniform with a yellow badge. That's pretty conservative compared compared to what's to come. Um, And then as luck would have it, 1974, Don Revy leaves Leeds to become the England manager, calls Admiral, wants a new kit for England. And that is when the wing collars and Admiral trademark is introduced. You got the additions of the bright blue and red stripes. Is that just before your time or were you already there? Just before your time? No, it's just before my time. Yeah. Okay. So when you arrive at Admiral and you see that those two big kits up and running, obviously the Leeds kit is very different from what you go on to create with your kit designs. How helpful was that? Did you say, okay, that's enough for me to work with? Or did you think, I can do better than that. I think when the, when the contract re-came up, I didn't really, well, it was a bit boring, wasn't it? You know, from where I was coming from. So, and they gave you pretty free reign with what with, with the things that you were allowed to do. So you had to have the logo. There weren't the print options that you could have now. Uh, so you had to you had to work within what you'd got. So it was cotton fabric for the teams. It was actually a different fabric that we used for the replicas. But beyond that, no, you could really go for it. So the trimming was some an area that you could change a lot because that was woven and you could weave a pattern into that. So hence the logo stripes and the, and the things that you could do with that sort of trim. But no, I wasn't given any boundaries apart from we would have a meeting with the manager, um, with representatives from the clubs at the Admiral building and you'd say what you thought would go, and then they'd have a discussion. And, you know, between you, you'd come out with something that went on to be the team kit. So it was quite free-handed, as I remember. The only constraints really were what you could do with the fabric and the trims and the things that you got. I was looking at your website, and we'll give out the details at the end of this interview. And you're very much into your sports motor racing, golf, swimming, cycling, very active, clearly. (laughs) But football was never a big thing. It's possible it's still not a big thing, despite your contribution to football. And you've just touched on a few uh, minutes ago that this was an advantage for you and that you would have been overwhelmed had you maybe known what you were getting into. How might that have impacted on your kits then? Do you think they would have been maybe a bit more conservative? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so, because there was a tradition there, wasn't there? You know, I now know a lot more about football than I did then, obviously, because I didn't know anything then. And my husband actually is a huge Leicester City fan. And for years, we've been going to all home games. And he's an absolutely avid fan, far more than me. But I do know a lot more now. And I think there was 
a lot of tradition with football and it's hard to break with that really you almost need somebody that's coming in completely fresh to anything to just break the mold so I think that's really the background to that but I do but I was interested in sport as a whole so I knew sort of how to put things together that look good in a sporting environment I think that's where I'm going from other things but it could well have made if I, I'm, I'm to this day I'm glad I didn't know more but I have actually since said because I then went on to design after I worked for Admiral I worked for other, other companies and things I have actually said 10 years later I probably would have actually done them a lot better job <laughs> But as it was, you know, it was what it was. So, Do you remember what your first kit was that you designed? No, but I do remember that I had to cut. The, I mean, the people there were so skilled. in the hot, And it wasn't just at Admiral. It was a lot of the people working in the industry. We've lost a lot of home skills. And I remember we had a cutting room floor that was probably you'd got three ladies cutting big rolls of fabric for the team kits overseen by a couple of other people and then in a separate room we had a whole room of about six machinists that would sew this stuff up and these women could cut you out a top with no pattern just completely by sight and they sort of thought that I would be able to do the same and I remember being given this asking for this colored roll of material and them saying oh well you, you need a pattern you know you need a pattern for that and I remember being so pleased that I could like cut out a V-neck and then it vaguely fit somebody. <laughs> it, was just, it was quite a being chucked in at the deep end, I can tell you. And I could feel them watching me because from this moment, they'd not had some young upstart in there sort of with the label of designer in before. They'd really called the shots a little bit, I think. So it was, yeah, it was it was a bit of a learning curve. I was going to ask you that because you've gone in, you're only 19 and you're effectively running that side of things at such a young age. How did you deal with that? Well, I have to say to this day that Bert Patrick was a great boss and there was John Griffin who was, so Bert Patrick was the chairman, John Griffin was managing director and they were I mean, they were really good salesmen. They were on it. And they had a good design styles too. And I dealt mostly with John Griffin, who was the managing director. And if I sort of came up with something that really wasn't the thing, then he'd say so. We worked well together. And I I remember him as being a very fair boss, you know, and perfectly okay. And I think when you're that age as well, it doesn't bother you either way. You know, if something... It was all also incredibly frantic. Everything was happening incredibly fast and they were getting teams all the time. I completely lost the plot of what was for what sometimes. And and literally you would say, right, here's the kit, come up with something different, get it cut out and I want it in an hour or so. You know, it was just bonkers sometimes. Very, quite stressful really. And I think at that age you can take it. So I don't remember what was my first thing. I I couldn't tell you, you know, half of it, but I do know that it was continual frantic and they were were really going places fast. Too fast, perhaps, given what happened in the early 80s? I think that was terribly sad because they'd hit upon something quite revolutionary in a way of doing all these replicas and, and the advertising and the thing. It was really, it was really a new a new era for all of that and they were good at it and the business was growing so quickly now I'm not you know I wasn't involved in that side of it at all but I do think maybe partly it it just expanded so very fast and then I don't know what happened at the end of the days but that's how it felt it felt like a a big bubble that was you know maybe going to burst. When you arrived at Admiral Companies like Adidas, Umbro, Puma, they were already around. They were already big. But in terms of the replica football kits market, were they your rivals at the time or they weren't really too interested in that side of things? I remember them being rivals, maybe a bit of design. I don't remember them so much being considered a rival for the kits. And maybe that's just because at that moment we were better. I remember going to a big trade show in Cologne in Germany 
and the Adidas stand was enormous. And like Fort Knox, you could not get on the stand. But of course, I was literally probably now I was 20, bit naive, young, blonde, got me no, you weren't, and I just got onto the stand and managed to sort of, I don't know, blag my way in or something, look at all the designs, get out. And I remember getting back to the Admiral stand and them going, you never got on the Adidas stand, did you? <laughs> Very funny. And that's a bit how we were. We were a bit sort of, I don't know, almost under the radar, if you like, and not and not really not really bothered about that or yeah, bit did fresh, you, bit different. Did you start paying attention to what companies like Adidas and Umbro were were starting to do towards the late 70s? No, not me. The bosses may have. But by the time, you know, you get to the to sort of the end of the 70s, we'd got so many teams. And not only football teams, they actually then branched out into darts and American football. And, you know, it just got crazier and crazier. Were you working on the those outfits too, darts? and Yeah, yeah. And you imagine that on the workbench. You imagine those darts kits which were about as wide as they were tall, and then the football kits. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Good How fun. important was the advent of colour television to the rise of Admiral? I mean, the timing was perfect, surely. It was. I would say huge, huge, because the, the colour adds another dimension, doesn't it? And we could play around with that a lot. And important for the football teams as well. You know, they have their specific colours. I mean, we could go a bit bonkers with away kits and stuff, but yeah, huge, of course. How did it feel in those early days to see something you designed appearing on television, being worn by footballers and, you know, kids walking around in replica kits for the first time? Good. Yeah, good. But again, I think I was so, it was such a whirlwind that you almost didn't get time to take that in. It was crazy. I know I got taken to a match at Leicester City by Bert Patrick and we sat in the director's box and I and he had to tell me what a red card was. I mean, that's how much I knew, seriously. So, you know, beyond looking at the kits, that was my focus. And I really was a complete beginner with football. Complete beginner. But I think, you know, it was it was like like I say, the beginning of an era, and it just was rolling at a tremendous pace. So, yeah, it felt great to see the kids. It was wonderful. Like many guys of my generation, I'm a bit of a, a football kit pedant. And the great thing about those Admiral kits and just the early kits in general is that they were often worn for years. So because they're worn for years, they're identified with specific eras, specific trophies, uh, trophy wins, you know, specific great teams in a club's history. And they become iconic, as those Admiral kits have become over the decades. In fact, they're probably more iconic than ever. But here's my question. Do you think the longevity of some of those kits, not just for Admiral, but for other companies too? Well, first of all, is that why they're so highly regarded, the fact that they were worn for years? If you'd been changing the designs as frequently as you know brands change their designs nowadays, do you think the kits would have lost something? Maybe so, but really the kits were only changed when the clubs wanted to change them. Okay. Or you get a new advertiser. You know, you got a new make. So why that happened now? Yeah, that's a difficult one to answer, isn't it? Because it's a bit subjective. It could have been, it couldn't have been. But so, it's nice that they become iconic. I mean, I am completely amazed by that, and I'm really fed up by the fact that I never kept a single one. <laughs> You never thought to keep a single kit. <laughs> no. no, mad, isn't it? And I can remember it so well, all of that, and, and no, never kept a single one. Well, you wouldn't, would you? Because you didn't know where it was going. You know, it, at the beginning of anything, you don't know where it's going. It... Well, I can tell you where that brown Coventry away kit went. <laughs> <laughs> that, that went. That went to eBay and it's going for a lot of money to this day. It's incredible. I that cannot. design. I can't quite get over that one, but never mind. <laughs> now, by the time you turn up at Admiral, as you've told us, the first England kit is out. That was designed in 1974. Again, an iconic kit. It's worn for such a long period. 
Then the second Admiral kit comes through in 1980, which is, a, I think, a beautiful design. You know, a, a stunning design, probably the most iconic England kit now outside of the 66 World Cup. Again, putting my football anorak hat on, it's the only England international kit worn in two consecutive international tournaments in the last 50 years. Here's the thing, though. Given that the first kit was worn for six years, did Admiral miss out on a greater windfall had there been a more frequent kit change certainly for the national team in that period might admiral have survived that difficult period in the early 80s who knows i don't think it was just down to that but yeah probably yes it would have been better wouldn't it you know you can look back now and say well what a shame they didn't change it a bit more often because that definitely would have given them a more turnover wouldn't it but then you know at the time I actually, I don't know, maybe you do, but how long before that were kits the same? You know, yeah. was it, it just wasn't the thing, was it? The kits, for example, the Liverpool kit of the mid-70s, they wore that home kit for six seasons. Southampton wore a, a Patrick kit for five seasons. It's unthinkable now. But as it a just desi- wasn't the thing. But as a designer, did you like the fact that your design would be worn for years or were you frustrated because you're going around in your head, you're thinking, oh, you know what I'd do now with that? that, I'd tweak that. I wasn't really frustrated because, again, because it wasn't what was done, you sort of get in the mould of when a new one comes, that's it for a bit. Because the market was different. It didn't – it just wasn't the way things were to change it all the time. So – so you, I didn't feel frustrated because it, because at the same time as that, it felt like you were doing things all the time because all the other teams were changing. You know, it wasn't just the England kit. It was all the other teams in the country practically. So it wasn't like you weren't changing things. You were. Now you put it like that, I can see that probably it would have been really good for Admiral if they'd changed more. I think the trouble was the company went through – you know, it went through a real difficult phase. And this is just after my time. They opened a big new factory and communication became a little bit more difficult. I don't know why. And I, and I'm not, I just think they fell over their own feet, excuse the pun a bit. And they they just, you know, they didn't keep going with what. And maybe you added Ashley Umbro Pumas cottoned on to the fact of what was going on and tried more to get in on the act. In Mark, from where I sat, it was that way around more. You know, those big guys, they just got so a bit complacent sitting where they were and then suddenly realised this upstart in Leicester was doing pretty good. I think it could have turned around that way. You hinted earlier at the frantic nature of the average day at Admiral, you know, kit deals coming in all the time. As the designer, how difficult was it to stay focused? How many different things were you trying to do? Was there always a template to, to follow or did you have a free reign with, with each new deal coming in? Well, there was a bit of a template because you got the, the template of a man. Right. <laughs> that is a template. You, know, you can't send him out in a three-piece suit. <laughs> but once you got that, then no, there wasn't. There wasn't a template. And and it wasn't restrictive either. And it and it wasn't a problem that there were, were more than one. I mean, if you were a designer working in another another area, say, I don't know, you know, you'd you'd have to come up with a whole range of things two or three times a year. So being able to come up with new designs wasn't something I found difficult. I think what, what used to happen was the manager would come in. And he'd say, we need a new, you know, new kit. And you're given you're given the colours pretty much that you can play with for the home shirt. And then the away one is more up for grabs on, you know, trying to change it a bit. But I think, like I said before, the only constraints were the fabric that we were using and the trim, which is where you could put different colours and different things in. So you could insert a stripe. You could, in, you could cut it, like, on the chevron. You could a chevron or a you know you could put a little bit of detail around the neck you could put it down the shoulder but nowadays bah, it's wonderful what they could do with the prints and the knits and the weaves in the in the material so that we didn't have that um at that point you so had the, work constraints sorry sorry you had the longevity though your designs had the longevity that today's <laughs> designs don't have i mean we see some 
beautiful kits nowadays, but they're just not around long enough no. to become a classic. And I think they've got too busy sometimes. I mean, I, sometimes I look at them and I think, oh, that's a bit boring. But then equally, I think they've got so much stuff they have to put on them that it can easily take away from the design. You know, if you cut, if you put a nice cut or a nice shape on the shirt, sometimes it just gets lost and what else has to go in inverted commas for advertising or, you know, there's more of that. There's still some good ones, you know. I think I think possibly the advantage we had back then was that your constraints actually helped you to come up with a good shape or a, a design. It was a simpler format and sometimes going back to simplicity is good um, if you're working with colors and, and shapes in general when you say constraints constraints in what respect do you mean in the fabric the material that yeah. you okay yeah but if you wanted to make something different you'd got to cut it into the shape so you could put a panel or a you know you whereas now you can create all these effects just with the weave or the gloss on the fabric and sometimes I also think that those things they're doing now, they look great up close, but sometimes it's lost when you're looking at it on the TV because I've sort of thought, oh, that's a bit boring. And then when I've actually seen a shirt up close, you say, you can see subtle things on it that are, that are clever. Uh, whereas in my day, it was like cut and paste to make anything seen. It had got to be a bit more dramatic, perhaps. The 1976 FA Cup final is a big staging post in the Admiral success story. It's Manchester United and Southampton. They're both signed up with Admiral by then. The interesting thing here for the 75-76 season, again, a bit like Leeds, the Southampton home strip that year was Umbro, but the away strip was Admiral. So that's a curious arrangement. <laughs> and so you've got two Admiral teams playing in the FA Cup final. And I think they've got track suits with the Admiral logo emblazoned on the front. The BBC says you can't have that. Admiral rather cleverly emblazoned the Admiral logo, a massive logo on the backs of the track suits. And I was watching a clip of this yesterday and it looks stunning. I don't think there's ever been better branding <laughs> in any game. I mean, that was a huge moment for Admiral. And, yeah. and the track suits themselves were almost as iconic as, as the actual kits, weren't they? Yeah, I used to like doing the tracksuits. The tracksuits are really as good as the... Well, I'm, again, I'm coming at it from a designer's point of view. You could actually muck around with the tracksuits almost more than you could with the kits. I mean, I'd actually forgotten about that, putting the logo on the back and all that stuff. But again, that just shows you what good salespeople those bosses were. They were just clever in that respect. Good, because, you know, what came afterwards was... It was necessary, really. I remember just a, a, an aside on that story was we actually, at that point, almost got the contract to provide the clothing for a James Bond film. And it was Moonraker. Right. And they'd got, you know, the space suits and all that. Yeah, it was going to be brilliant. But we couldn't, in the end, it all fell through because we they wouldn't let us put the Admiral logo on it. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> I've but never yeah, heard that. Yeah. And I actually went to London and met up, and I can't even remember now who I met up with, but it could have been the director or something, and he, he was saying, oh, we want these. He was, no, it must have been the clothing designer for the film, and it, oh, they wanted these sexy outfits. Great, but we couldn't put the Admiral logo on, so it didn't happen. Let's go to some uh, listener questions for the next uh, few minutes you may not know or may not remember the answers here but we'll have a we'll have a bash <laughs> have a stab this is from blades shirts on twitter the sheffield united shirts were groundbreaking what was the inspiration behind combining black stripes with red white for the first time subsequently used by six sheffield united shirt designs since including the umbro shirt worn in the first ever premier league goal I'm not sure you're going to be able to remember that. I remember the kit, though. It is quite a distinctive <laughs> kit. It sounds a good idea, doesn't it? Why not? <laughs> I do have a bugbear with striped kits in the modern game. There, there seems to be a lack of commitment to the stripes, and the, the backs of striped mm -hmm. kits can be particularly poor. I know that they've got to cram in the name and the number nowadays, the squad number and the name, but stripes wearing clubs almost seem embarrassed to wear stripes these oh, days. Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Because actually what a strong 
That's exactly what we've just said, though, isn't it? It all gets watered down because you clutter it up with too much stuff. And really, I think a stripe kit, great. I don't actually remember the kit that the, the question was relating to, but sounds to me like a no-brainer to put those things together so I can quite understand why it was done. You you do come back to that, that the, the clubs had got to be able to maybe move away from what they'd done before, and sometimes that could take a little bit of a push. How did they react to someone? Was it yourself coming in with the designs or was it Bert Patrick? and No, together. So I wasn't always in the room. So I did meet with people and I and I wouldn't really have a clue with who I was meeting with. So they'd take me in to, you know, put this, some of the, these things forward. But I think if it was anything, if they were a little bit more not wanting to do it, then Bert Patrick or John Griffin would would step in. If there was a reluctance, say at the Admiral end, before you met with the clubs, would you fight your corner if you really believed in your yeah. design? Yeah. And I don't remember having to fight the corner very often. You know, it all seemed to go pretty good. If I came up with anything, quite then that then it that's how it went. Blade shirts also tweets about the Sheffield United away shirts. Again, you're unlikely to remember that, but you may remember this next bit because I, I can visualize what they're talking about. They mentioned that that particular Sheffield United away kit in the mid 70s had Admiral badges on the wing collars, okay, um, yeah. unlike the players' shirts. I remember that, I think, as well on a Spurs kit. Was that an early Admiral thing? It was It was kind of disappeared by the late 70s, I think. But it's certainly very striking. Yeah. And again, think about what I just said. There was only certain things you could play with. So the trims were it. Your collars, your the, the cuff, the little bit that you put in the neck, the bit on the... You know, there was... The, you were a bit limited as to how far you could go with things. And if you could get the Admiral logo on it, like I remember we put it on socks. We put, we put it everywhere we could, really. Where were these ideas coming to you? Would you be on your way home from work? Would you be <laughs> travelling into work with a with a little sketchbook, sketching designs, or were you... No, it just, they just came. Still to this day, you don't... If, if that's your thing, it's never-ending. It's not a problem to come up with designs. This is from Lee Madden. Can you ask Lindsay if she was involved in the iconic braces strip for Orient? Do you remember that one? A white ooh, strip ooh. with red braces down the side, very distinctive. Late 70s. I no. I'd, I'd, I'd love to forget. I'd love to be in a position where I could forget <laughs> some of some great achievements. This is the humility, <laughs> the humility is lovely. <laughs> Isn't it mad? not I don't want to show disrespect for these things you know because I know to a lot of people they really mean stuff but you you just have to put it in perspective of of where we were at the time who I was what was happening you know it's, it's not with disrespect it's honest to god I just it do dovetails nicely <laughs> into my next question at its peak, were you aware that you were producing something that had triggered a, a replica kit revolution in football? And obviously, as you can see, football fans obsess over those designs to this day. It's just a remarkable Not achievement. Not at all. Not in any way. I mean, it, it probably was dawning on the bosses because things were going rather well with the business. You know, and, and actually, I mean, when I watched... It sounds ridiculous, but I love the pro the Get Shirty program. Yeah. I mean, what a great little documentary that is, and and true and and well done. And and I, and I watched it back, and I sort of thought, wow. And I'll bleep bleep me, you know, that was just something else. <laughs> I just and and you don't, you know, put think about it. If you start something, something that is different to what's gone before. You don't know. I mean, Mr. Amazon didn't know when he first started off his first little thing, how enormous it was going to get. You don't know. You know, you just you just carry on doing what you're doing and the ball takes you wherever you go. So I had no idea. And I wish, looking back now, that I did. I wish somebody had clued me up a bit because, in a way, my parents were not into football. So I don't think they quite realised, because I was living at home at the time, and I don't think they realised quite the scale of 
of what was happening. I, in fact, I know they didn't because I've, I've since said to my mother, father sadly passed away, but I've said, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me? You know, why didn't you sort of fill me in that this was a bit more important than I realised? And and I know my little cousin, I used to come back and say, oh, today I met so-and-so and I had a meeting with, you know, X and he'd go, you didn't, did you? <laughs> I just, I didn't know. So no, I'm really sorry. It was just... That's the way it was. <laughs> Still to come on when shorts were short. There is a feeling that it's got to fit with the team as well. And and, and if, a, if a strip doesn't fit and it jars with people, and in, in a way, the chocolate brown one, that was a bit of, I wouldn't say fun, but it was, it shouldn't have, you know, it didn't survive for long. And that was right because at the time it, it wasn't fitting with the team. You know, your team's got to feel good in it, haven't they? But I still remember saying to old Adrian, yeah, I think it's great kit. And the next day they were queuing around the block. Thank you for downloading When Shorts Were Short. You might be interested in supporting the show's Patreon page. Supporters will get each new episode a fortnight early, as well as bonus episodes exclusive to patrons. Show your support for the podcast at patreon.com forward slash shorts were short. Your support for the podcast is appreciated. If the shorts weren't short, we don't talk about it. Why did something like Admiral not happen earlier in football? Is it simply the fact that no one had thought of it or was it down yeah. to technology? Maybe a, a, a combination of hadn't thought of it and a very traditional game. The TV, the level of, I mean, the TV thing was really at the beginning of a role, wasn't it, as well? Yeah. Every, everything was just kicking off. Like you say, colour television came in. The whole universe of all those things together was at a point where it was just starting to move forward so I think that the teams were a lot more traditional and maybe the so there was there was that and then I mean why on earth hadn't it happened before and you know what when I went into that company I wasn't actually even aware that it hadn't happened before you know it just seemed such a logical thing to do of course the kids are going to want to dress up in the kid you know, and, and really, of course, their dads are as well. In your post-admiral career, you've become an artist. Did you have that side to you during those admiral days or this is? Yeah, oh, always, always. And it's all in, I mean, it's all the same thing, really. I mean, even as a, as a child, I, I was absolutely rubbish at sort of maths and English, but I could always get by by doing somebody else a drawing. Or, and I was good at sport, I was good at art. Without those two things, school would have been a nightmare for me, which is why I wish that they were treated a little bit more seriously in education today, because as a child, that's what I could do. And so really, I was always going to do something in the art field. And I think, really, when I went to art college, my parents persuaded me to go on the fashion design course because they thought that one would pay me, whereas being an artist probably wouldn't. And they were right. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> so, <laughs> they were right. So, more more, more so than ever now. Yeah, it, uh, you know, isn't it funny how it goes? But but I loved fashion and I loved that industry. And, I, you know, I had a great time while I was in it. And I only really stopped because I got married, had a little boy and then followed him up with twins. So all of a sudden I had an awfully heavy home life and really gave it up to look after them at that point in time and then when I sort of felt able to I went back into adult education in Leicester and I just started doing some art classes when while, when the twins got to school age and I could have a bit of time to go and do what I wanted to do that's what I did and it and then that rolled because the thing was to go back into fashion you are designing two years in advance of where you are so you need the knowledge to be able to foresee what's happening in the future. And to a certain extent, you can. But there are if you're not in a, a company or a firm, it's quite a difficult thing to do with a young family um, to keep yourself clued up enough to design for that 
amount in the future that's that's what stopped me really whereas the painting and the artwork I could do that on my own or in my spare time or whenever I wanted to so that's really you know life just led me down a different route Um, I still did the sport I still you know I still play golf in fact I've taken my granddaughter to the driving range just before I spoke to you my son actually drives British touring cars so you know we're, we're a very sporty family uh, my husband's off to Leicester City whenever he possibly can. So we're still we're still very involved in all of that. And and my artwork went again, it, that that rolled in a different direction. So I went to after my art classes, thank God for adult education. Because by this point I was sort of early 30s, went into Leicester, and then I went to De Montfort University and did a degree in fine art. And then I went to Nottingham Trent and did a master's degree. So, you know, it's sort of just went a different way. Looking back, did your art feed into any of your football work? Oh yeah, because it's you. It's your personality. It comes from you. You know, I, I sometimes, I mean, I paint very different things now, but but sometimes, but it's always colours and shapes. And I could design football kit again now. It, it's it's no it's no different. It's just a different canvas. What was your remit whenever a new deal came in? What what were you told? I was told this this is the club, these are the colours, this is what they've got now. What do you think? End of. The thing about your work with Admiral is that you tended to stay faithful to the pre-existing designs, at least the colours. There was nothing hugely yeah, yeah. radical. It was a different interpretation of what had gone on before. But around that time, those that followed you um, I'm thinking, you know, and I like Lecoq Sportif's designs in the early 80s, but they got a deal with Sunderland in 81, again, a club with stripes, and they alienated the club supporters right away. They did away <laughs> with the stripes going, I think they inserted twin thin candy lines on the kit. Okay, too and, much. And they got mm-hmm. rid of the black shorts, they made them red, and it was two years where it was a real issue for Sunderland fans. They were happy, I think, when Nike stepped in and reintroduced stripes but you guys you kind of even though the designs were really colorful and innovative you kind of knew where you were with where the line was yeah yeah because it is a there is a tribal thing about football you know it it is your team isn't it I think it's a mistake to take it too far away I would never have done that and I don't and, and and you know what that never entered my head and I think like I say, you were given, you were said, right, this is this is the one, this is the new, this is the club, these are the colours. The away kit was different. You know, you could you could push the boundaries with that, but but the home kit, totally, I think you've got to, you've got to you've got to stick with the colours. <laughs> I I'm recalling now some of the away kits that you designed. I think oh, the Manchester <laughs> United white a white and black kit, the the white shirt with three black stripes, which these days someone might confuse with Adidas, but it was very distinctive for the time. It really was. Of course, you've got the West Ham design with the chevron, which I think uh, yeah, was, yeah. It, was it called a yoke? Uh, yeah, I don't know, the yeah. panel, the weird panel, but it was a yeah. very distinctive Not kit. Not a weird panel. <laughs> well, <laughs> very unusual and it's interesting actually because they they replicated that with another kit designer West Ham themselves about four or five seasons ago which is a a backhanded compliment to your work you mentioned Bert Patrick um earlier on he sadly passed away in December and I didn't know that I only found out I only found out a couple of days ago uh, I'm sorry to break the news to you on that but it did give me an opportunity to look into his history with Admiral and he turned up as a a young man I think in the mid 50s two years later he's bought Admiral I think for (laughs) 34,000 pounds by 1960 he takes the company off in a different direction into sportswear I mean you've already said what he was like to work with it just struck me reading his obituary that he was something of a visionary you know just so far ahead of his time in that in that field he was very good at selling an idea I think as well and his ideas were good he almost could sell too well I remember thinking when you got the football kit there you got the darts kit there you got the blinking American football kit there and then you come in you want to you know we might do James Bond oh my god where else are we gonna go you know it was he was that sort of guy 
and I, we used to say that he could he could sell ideas and sell you know he was just really switched on and that doesn't surprise me at all you know how things went I just feel sorry that they didn't manage to carry it on really the Get Shirty documentary that you mentioned is one of the great football documentaries. It's just so colourful. It's so brilliant. And one of the guys who appeared on there with you was John Devlin, who runs the True Colours football website. And I spoke to him a few months ago. He's meant to be coming on this show at some point. And he said something very interesting in terms of his thoughts as to why the kits that you designed and other kits of that time by other companies, why they're so iconic. He said, and I don't know if there's anything in this, I assume there is, that most of the kits were designed by women with no interest in football at that time. <laughs> Whereas nowadays you've got graphic artists. And as, you, as you've alluded to earlier, some of the kits are a bit too busy and there's always some tenuous link to what this new design is supposed to represent. I think the worst one I've heard was about four years ago, Liverpool had introduced, I think, a green and black trim to their away kit. And when they launched the kit, they said the green and black trim was a tribute to the cover of the 1977 European Cup final program. And I thought, no, that's too oh, much. Please. You know, that, that's not. <laughs> but were you aware, though, that it was mainly women designing football kits at that time? I'm not sure there were that many people designing football kits, actually. But but, clearly, but I wouldn't put any great, you know, thing on that. I don't know. Maybe that's true. This one certainly had no idea about football. I can tell you that now. <laughs> well, it certainly worked for you, that approach. <laughs> Let's go back to some listener questions. Again, you may yeah. not know the answers here. This is from Got Not Got. Hello, Lindsay. It is said that there was an Admiral Liverpool kit designed, although the deal was killed off when the Anfield board overruled Bill Shankly. So I think that would be before your time. Is this true? And if so, would you know what it looked like? No. Okay. Sorry. I think That's that okay. that, yeah, I think Bill Shankly left in 74. Maybe we can look into no, that further. This is all the way from Austria. I'll be surprised if you know this one. Tricot stories. Okay. Very special question from us. How did it come to be that lower tier clubs like SV Mattersburg, fourth tier in Austria back then, shirt from 82, 83, got shirts from Admiral because Admiral were never seen elsewhere in professional football in Austria? That doesn't sound like one that you're going to recall. No, but I'd hazard a guess that they came forward to Admiral and asked for a shirt and they got one. And often it was as simple as that. Couple more questions. This is from I think Luke. going back on that. Sorry, going back on that last question again on those dates. What date was that again? 82 83. So that was slightly after me. I think at that point, maybe they would just supply whoever wanted a shirt. And again, you're not talking about a big company, you're not talking about Adidas or Nike or those. You're talking about a little Leicester company trying to survive. So that's how they got the shirt. This is from Luton Town Exile. Can you please ask Lindsay to confirm that the Luton Town shirts she designed are her favourites? <laughs> oh, you know- we can't have favourites. <laughs> I, I, what I get from that, the first part of that tweet, is that they've read somewhere that they were your favourites because that sounds oh, very specific. They seem very sure in what they're tweeting there. Oh, goodness, I'm not putting any names on favourites. That's not going to happen. <laughs> They continue, on a more serious note, could you ask, Lindsay, if we were the first club to get the sidebar design or if it was someone else and we simply got a colour tweak with the sidebar design? I would imagine the answer to this next bit is yes. Also, did the clubs have the final say in the designs? The clubs did have the final say. Of course they did. Yeah. Do you remember that, what they're talking about with the sidebar design? But I, I think that was the Luton Town kit. So they've got the shirt and they've just simply got a stripe on one side. I think they're calling that a sidebar. But the Luton kits right. were iconic, you know, orange, white, black shorts, very striking colours. Yeah, lovely. When Shorts Were Short has teamed up with Twitter's unofficial bookshop, Big Green Books, to offer listeners a chance to win football books relevant to our latest episode. And for our debut competition, this week, Big Green Books are giving away a copy of Neil Hurd's The Football Shirts Book, The Connoisseur's Guide, which features over 150 original and super rare shirts, some of which fall into the show's 1954-92 to purview. 
This week's question is, which seasons did Coventry wear their then infamous but now collector's item Admiral Chocolate Away Kit? Is it A, 1978-81? Is it B, 1975-78? Or is it C, 1982-83? To enter, you need to DM your answer to Simon at Big Green Books. Then on Saturday, the 22nd of January at 3pm, when, as Simon says, the time when all football matches should start, the winner will be announced on Twitter. Simon will contact one lucky person from all the correct entries and the book will be sent out to the winner. And if there's some football book you're after, so long as it's in print, Big Green Books can get hold of it for you. All you need to do is tweet at Big Green Books and they'll sort it out for you. Two questions from Ginger Mick. What team would Miss Jelly have liked to have designed, but Admiral couldn't get the rights? That's the first question. Was there a kid out there that you care yeah, for? I think we got most of them. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, if I look, if I do look back at the, you know, some of the records, I'm thinking, crikey, we had a lot. Right, yeah. So no, I don't remember. Sorry, no. Okay, and the second part of their question, how difficult would it have been to design a kit for Celtic in terms of incorporating the classic Admiral look into a hooped design? Surely that would have been impossible. Nothing's impossible. It's a it's a good question though. I mean, what do you do? What would Admiral have done with hoops? Mm, well, you could have run a bit of trim round the completely round the bottom of it. You could have put a, <laughs> Where do you want me to start and stop? <laughs> Because obviously, no, I think been, I think Adidas did popular. the QPR kit, and that was simply a case of adding the three stripes. So there was nothing very different or very distinctive about that. We moved to the late seventies, early eighties, and Admiral are starting to be challenged by the likes of not just Adidas and Umbro. There's Book Tour, I think, who've been around for a while. Patrick are coming in. Lacoste Sportive are starting to do very well. Admiral, though, you're still expanding. You know, you're still expanding. You touched on the new warehouse, a big warehouse that was opened. That was the point at which Admiral maybe overstretched themselves, was it? Yeah. In my view, in my view, I mean, I was there and it was a huge new, it was a huge new factory. Still in Wigston, still, you know, just up the road as it were. But for me, that was the split. It was necessary, I think, for the volume that was going out. So it wasn't a bad business move, but the outlay and the the sort of finances involved in that must have been huge. And suddenly you weren't right next door to where it was all being manufactured. And and again, you're pre the communications that we've got now. You know, there was no internet. There was no, you know, do you see what I mean? for, For me as a designer, that's when you weren't able to walk into the next room and get an immediate answer. And that was a problem. Well, it was it was it was just one of many things. You know, you you were a little bit more cut off. And and I just felt that that the workforce as well, that you just felt a few vibrations of unease and I don't know. And and it was at that point really, shortly after that, that I just got another job. And it wasn't because I was unhappy per se, but, but it was a bit of a mad world. And at that point in Leicester, frankly, for a designer. With the CV that I'd then got, you could get another job pretty easily. So that, and and I have to say right now that I did not enjoy my new job as much as I did working at Admiral. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was it was, they were great times. I did enjoy. I then went on after that middle job. I went on to design sportswear and leisure wear for sort of Levi Lee Cooper and people like that. So I did still do the leisure wear, but. Was it dawning on you by then what you'd done in your earlier no, career? No, not until fairly recently when people, like, for instance, when the Get Shirty, you know, documentary came up and they said to me that the the brown Coventry away strip was selling for this and I, and I didn't believe them. And it, and it, no, no, because my life careered off in a different direction and, and I had no idea. Were you still at Admiral when the 82 World Cup came along and there was a, an issue no. with the... Okay, because there was an issue no. with the England kit, wasn't there, I think? Uh, it was, no, I've gone by them. Um, <laughs> Glad to say if it was an issue. 
You mentioned earlier that the material or the fabric used for the professional kits, that the kits the players played in was very different to the replica kits. Uh, I would hope so, because as much as I love the kits, the replica kits was so itchy. It was a rite of passage oh, no. for, for, for boys of my generation. The England kit, the first one, I, I was proud to wear oh, that. Great. I loved it, but it was so uncomfortable. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Just wanted to clear that up, you know. Oh, I can quite understand it. We've mentioned the Brown Coventry Away kit and it fetches astronomical prices. Now, do you remember how the idea for that one came about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, I think the exact words were, and they came from Bert Pratrick, Lindsay, what do you think to Chocolate Brown? And I remember going, yeah, I, I'm not, I think Chocolate Brown's all right. And at the time, you have to remember, late 70s, everything was orange and chocolate brown. You know, this was a real... Actually, that's a were, good they, point, yes. Yeah, yes. It, was, it was not as weird as it sounds now. <laughs> so, yeah, there was nothing wrong with chocolate brown. And I don't know to this day what, but that he sort of, whether he'd got a whole load of fabric he could get hold of in chocolate brown, could have been as stupid as that, or... You know, he just literally was trying to think what would work, what wouldn't work. But I, but he was the one that actually, in the first place, instigated the chocolate brown. And I, and he said, "What do you think to it?" And I went, "Yeah, we can go with chocolate brown. Can we put an orange stripe on it?" <laughs> was it the case then that sometimes simply Admiral had acquired a particular colour fabric, and it's a case that they go in and say, "Lindsay, what do you think?" We I can don't do know. With this? Okay. That's the only instance, because let's face it, that one was a little bit out there, wasn't it? It was, it was a bit out there. And, and, I, in, and I was quite surprised that that one got swung through, but it's certainly not been forgotten. I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed a former Coventry player from that era, Steve Hunt, who, who confirmed the brown kit scarred him, but <laughs> does, say, does say that the sky blue kit that you created was yeah. just a thing of beauty. It's, it's yeah, that, that was... That was more the ticket, wasn't it? Yeah, a lovely colour. You see, I love colours. You know, you can tell from talking to me when you've come up with, with you know, different things and that. I just love colours, you know, and, and you give a designer a, a, a template. All right, you're a bit, it's a little bit boring because you've got to do a certain T-shirt shape. You know, it's got to fit on a bloke on the football pitch. But actually, it was just a lovely thing to do. And I look upon it. Just as great fun. Lovely. Funnily enough, talking about things being a bit too busy and whatnot, the old, the Nigeria kit, I was asked to make a comment of that on Five Live. Is it Adrian Child had, had said he didn't like it? And what did I think about it? And I said, I love it. <laughs> and that one I did like. Was this the last World Cup you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, did have the a couple. White, yeah. the, and and I actually, I thought that is so right for that team. And and maybe that's when we come back to you stuck to certain colours and certain, you know, that there is a feeling that it's got to fit with the team as well. And and, and if, a, if a strip doesn't fit and it jars with people, and in, in a way, the chocolate brown one, that was a bit of, I wouldn't say fun. You know, it didn't survive for long. And that was right because at the time it, it wasn't fitting with the team. You know, your team's got to feel good in it, haven't they? But I still remember saying to old Adrian, yeah, I think it's great kit. And the next day they were queuing around the block. <laughs> it has, uh, it did attain, uh, well, as close as a kit can come these days to attaining classic status. It, it was a popular yeah, kit. Yeah, it was I, good. I don't know if you remember or if I'm right in saying that in the 70s, when I watched reruns of the big match or match of the day, a lot of the away kits seemed to be yellow. It was as if, kit designers had thought well we can do something with yellow now maybe that we've not been able to do before and they look nice to be fair but the modern day equivalent for me which I find really tiring it's a real bugbear of mine is the all black away kit because I think when it was yeah. originally done by clubs like Manchester United in the mid 90s it, there was something beautiful about it it never been seen before but every team it's now. got boring now yeah it's almost they're designing the kit to wear with the shirt to design with jeans rather than just playing it oh right? okay yeah it's just unoriginal it's yeah. boring and it's just samey don't um, like it no maybe but again 
when you get close up, maybe that fabric is knitted or turned in a certain way that is good to wear as leisure wear. I'd say you're bang on right about that. No, I, you wouldn't get an all black football kit out of me. That's good to hear. Um, <laughs> during your admiral years, as you were just immersed in this world, by the early 80s, I think Umbro had taken the England contract. United had gone to Adidas. Spurs had moved to Lecoq Sportive. So some there are some big changes there. I think by that time, you're close. You've either, you've either gone or you're close to going. But by then, were you more interested in football or, or were you still working in that wonderful way where you're creating these things that the professionals are wearing that where you don't even particularly like the game? I only became a little bit more into football after I got married and my husband, avid Leicester City supporter, got the tickets and off we go to watch the matches. At that point, I knuckled down and paid attention a bit. Still to this day, that's the case. I really wish that I had become more fervent about it than I am, but that's just the way it is. You know, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm sure though, over, over the last few decades, you've turned up at many a gathering and got chatting to some strange, oh, what do you do? Or what have you done? Oh, well, I used to design these football kits you might have won. I mean, it's just a, it's a massive thing to say. For anyone who loves football to hear that, it, it's quite a thing. believe it. They don't believe it. And in fact, funnily enough, on my son, on my son Stephen's Twitter account lately, because he's just he's driving BTCC. And there's some some geezers put up a, a tweet saying, I can tell you something about Stephen Jelly's mother. She designed this, this and this and this. And I thought, oh, that's me. <laughs> Very funny. But it's yeah, it's nice. I mean, your past can come back and bite you in many ways. At least mine's come back and bitten me in quite a nice way. So indeed, I it has. Um, <laughs> a hypothetical for you: twenty twenty one pandemic era. Lindsay Jelly gets back into kit designing. What would this version of you be looking to do with the modern day football strip? Ooh, right. Well, I'd get rid of all those black ones to start off with. Right. Tick. <laughs> The trouble is now is different. Like I've said before, I think you have to jump through so many hoops and I almost would want to simplify stuff. And this thing about making a shirt relate to a catalogue of X, Y, and Z, it's too much. You've, you've, you've put too much baggage on it. The best design is always relatively simple. So I'd probably start off with what has got to go on the shirt, i.e. what are my constraints with logos and advertising and stuff like that. And then a little bit what's gone before. Uh, you know, so what, what have I got to put on? And then how can we do something a bit different to what's gone before? But not get messy. I don't like things too cluttered up. Had you been working into the era where sponsored were coming in, would that have affected your work? You know? Well, you'd have had to work with with it. Right. You know, as a designer, you can't ignore what has got to be, but you can push the boundaries. Over the years, I've painted to commission many times, and you'll get people coming up with an idea they've got, and you and you sort of have to mould it a bit to what you think is a good a good thing, including what they want. Not 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 totally dishing their ideas or but but coming out with something that is pleasing to you. Because this sort of design differed from say your East Saint Laurent or you you know, they can come out with these crazy stuff and the more different it is, the better to, to get publicity, etc. In this sort of field, it's not quite the same. You've got to please a number, you've got to tick a number of boxes, but still come out with something that you're pleased with. Tell us about your work these days. We, we've mentioned you're an artist. What what kind of work do you produce these days? Where does the inspiration for this work come from? And where can people find your website and any social media links you want to give out? Well, the website the website is Jelly Art. I, I hate to say it needs updating. There's a few that have sold on there. I need to get some more work on. I've spent the last year really sorting a lot of things out. And I'm about to go again with new work. I sort of, I paint a lot of landscape, really. I've always loved being in the landscape and water, trees, things like that, which, funnily enough, when I was at art college, that's what I painted. And at that time, it was so unfashionable. 
that the tutors just were saying, oh, no, you've got to do abstract, you've got to do something else. But now I think people are realising the landscape's pretty important and, uh, you know, I'm getting more work through that. So I, I have painted to commission a lot, sell a lot through words of word of mouth, but really just love doing it. I've taught a little bit, done watercolour teaching. So a little bit less high-powered and high-key than I was in before, but it suits me. You know, I've got six grandchildren now, another one on the way. I'm going to teach them all to play golf. And young Annabelle was at football camp yesterday. So, <laughs> so yes, I'm very lucky, very blessed, very lucky. So as far as my work goes, you know, I love painting and, and doing all of that. And you can find me on Jelly Art and I'm on Twitter. And, you know, if you just Google Jelly Art or Les, Lindsay Jelly, Leicester Artist, you get me. I'll stick the links in the show notes. I should point out that Jelly is with two E's. Isn't E-Y. It? Don't forget the extra E. I should have put it like that. E-Y, E-Y, everybody. (laughs) Not as in trifle. (laughs) Lindsay, I appreciate your time. This was an interview I was really looking forward to. because It was fun, Daniel. Thank you. I I am a a kit anorak, so to speak to uh, the godmother (laughs) of football. I love it. It's a huge honour. Thank you to Lindsay for her time. When you do an interview, at least when I do an interview, you think, was I better off for speaking to that person, spending my time researching their career? Was it worth it? Yes, it was. All those strips from yesteryear that I obsessed over as a kid, even as an adult, to speak to the person in whose head these designs first saw light was a wonderful thing for me. And having spoken to Lindsay, maybe, just maybe, had she grasped the enormity of what she was doing, her work wouldn't have been quite as magical as it was. Thank you to Admiral 2 on behalf of all those kids out there who were and perhaps remain captivated by their classic designs, albeit unable to quite forget how itchy some of those replica strips were. Lindsay's work can be found at jellyart.co.uk, E before Y, remember, facebook.com forward slash lindsay.jelly, and she's on Twitter at lindsjelly. Thank you all for listening. The podcast can be followed on both Twitter and Instagram at shortswithshort and facebook.com forward slash shortswithshort. If you want to join the group page, please do. If you want to drop the show an email, you can get me shortswithshort at 1607westegg.com. There is now a Discord channel too. Check out the Twitter and Facebook pages for the link or just search on Discord for when shorts were short. Download the app to your phone or your PC, tablet or whatever device and join the community. All my work can be found at danielruistizen.com. The podcast can be supported at Patreon dot com forward slash shorts were short. Sign up for your season ticket there. Lots of content on the way. Do please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's still the biggest platform in podcasting. And without those ratings and reviews, a small indie show like this has no chance of reaching a wider audience. Support the podcast while it's still here. Thank you for your time. The artwork is by Tom Hadfield. The music is 80s synth pop by Toto's Cyberspace. I've been Daniel Ruiz-Tyson. This has been When Shorts Were Short. If the shorts weren't short, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm.